0: Good morning. It is so glad to be here with you, worshiping with the family of God. I usually in every uh, gathering, sermon time with my church as a welcome home family, and I feel like I can do that because we truly are the family of Christ, the family of God, together, worshiping together. So welcome home. It's good to be here, as I said. Uh, Blake already introduced me uh, but I am Adam Curious. I am the lead pastor of River Valley Community Church. Um, we are going to dive in to Exodus 14. But before we do that, if you join me in prayer as we pray for opening up the word. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can come before you as your children. As we can come before you and open up your word and know you through it. Lord, I pray for this time as we read the story of Exodus that many of us might know, some might not know as well, but as we see this story, can we see the truth of you, your power, your plan, your sovereignty, your love, your care, your provision, that we truly see you and we know how you love us and care for us and provide for us. Lord, I pray for this time that you bring to life your word in our hearts and our minds. That we can grow in the ways in which we need to grow, that you can teach us in how we need to be taught, that you can truly change us more and more to be more like your Son. Lord, we love you and we seek you. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the start of this year, I led my congregation through Exodus, the book of Exodus, and it just took us seven months, but we journey through the book of exodus is a great study and so when blake asked me hey do you want to come and and be a guest preacher i said sure and he says pick something that's on your mind and well what was on my mind but the book of exodus and so i went back to exodus chapter 14. Uh, as i said a familiar chapter to many of us this is the story of when israel crosses the red sea when god makes a way for them But to understand that story that is taking place in Exodus 14, we must first understand what's taking place in the book of Exodus. And so before we dive into Exodus 14, let's just do a little recap. So the book of Exodus opens up with the people of Israel in Egypt. And to understand why they're in Egypt, you have to go to the beginning of the book of at the end of the book of Genesis. And we see that Israel's in Egypt. Why? Because there's a famine. They were looking for food. Egypt had food. Why did Egypt have food? Because Joseph was there in Egypt planning and orchestrating by God's will to have food. And so when uh, Israel uh, came into Egypt, what did they find? They found Joseph there, right under Pharaoh, leading uh, the people. And so he provided a way for them to stay in Egypt, in, the, in the, this land of Goshen, and that's where they stayed. But now when we hit the book of Exodus, 430-ish years have passed, and there's a new king, a new pharaoh in power, one who no longer remembered Joseph and what he did. And so this Pharaoh sees the many Israelites living in their land, and he's fearful of them. And so he's, he pushed more work on them. He starts killing off the male children because he does not want them to become dangerous or rise up against him. And so we get the story of Moses, who is this, this child born, and his mother loves him. And so she hides him until she could not hide him anymore. And then so she puts him in the basket where he's found by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised by his mother as a child of Pharaoh. And this Moses, who God raises as a leader, learned in the ways of the Egyptians, but also knowing he's a Hebrew, he ends up going back to see his people in their plight and their slavery, ends up killing an Egyptian, has to flee because Pharaoh hears about it. He finds himself in the desert as a shepherd. He meets God there because God was not done with him, and he meets God in that burning bush, if we know that story, and God sends him back into Egypt with these signs to lead his people out. And God leads his people out. God provides uh, these powerful, miraculous signs that we call the ten plagues on, on Egypt until Pharaoh finally relents and says, Okay, you can go. And so all of Israel packs up. They take some of the silver and gold from their neighbors and they head out. And now they're being led out of Egypt, following God, and this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this is where the story of Exodus 14 picks up them being led out. So let's look at this story. If you join me in reading Exodus chapter 14 as we pick up the story of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back in the camp in front of Pihahiaf. Before Miguel and the sea, and in front of Bel-Zephon, and, and you shall camp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with them, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped to sea by pi Haroph, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent." The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me, the people of Israel, to go forward? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots, and all of his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between them and the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea a dry land, and the waters were divided." And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. Their waters began being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and the horsemen in the, mor- in the, in, in the morning watched the, Lord, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire. And the cloud, of, cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed him into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant. Moses. It's interesting, when we read this account, we see God's awesome power at hand, but we also see how his plan plays out, probably not like the people Israel thought it would play out. Israel is leaving Egypt, and yet it says at the very beginning of his account that he called them to turn around. They actually were headed in one direction, but he told them to turn around, actually to place them in a position where they find themselves, which was between an approaching army and a sea. That God actually called them and placed them where they were going to be seemingly in trouble. I think it's funny because when I think about life or how we view life, most of us, if you're like me, we expect life to go easy or kind of be okay if we just do what's right? We kind of have this expectation kind of built in that, hey, if I'm doing the right things, if I'm acting the right way, shouldn't life just be easy? Isn't that how God would want it and how he works it? But how often is the truth here when we are doing what we're doing, the Israelites were following God, a pillar by, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, yet he puts them right in a situation where they were trembling and fearful for their lives. And this is where we find them in Exodus 14. When I'm looking at this chapter, if I wanted to pull one thing out of it's how Moses encourages them in this time when he says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. I love that. And so I would summarize like this, that is a call for all of us, all believers in who God is, stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. That when life seems complicated, when life seems hard, when we seem to be placed in a position that we don't understand what's happening, we see this call that Moses gives to the Israelites, but it's also a call for every person of faith. That we know who God is, we know his power, we know how he saves us. And so what is our call? Stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. That he has a plan and his plan sometimes not works, does not work how we want it to, but his plan is good because he is good. And so we're called to stand firm in that salvation that he provides us. And we can only do that if we know who God is and we trust in his plan. Because I said, we know God, we know his nature, we know he's good, and we know his plans cannot be thwarted but sometimes his plans don't make sense to us i put myself in in uh, the shoes of the israelites when they're thinking about how god's going to lead them out of israel and i would think that he's just going to lead us he's already displayed his power over egypt he's already displayed his power to us we believe in him and we're following him faithfully shouldn't we just all of a sudden be zooped out away from egypt right into the promised land, but as we see, God has a different plan. He puts them in this spot once again to show his power, once again to show who he is, once again not only to show Israel but to show Egypt just who is God, who is Lord of the universe. He puts them in that spot so that they would know this to be true. And We see that this plan is made clear for us in verse 4 when it talks about And I, God speaking, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. He tells them why he is doing what he is doing. Now, it's really encouraging when we read that in the book of Exodus, but we have to realize that they didn't have that kind of dialogue given to them, why I believe Moses might know, but the people, uh, a general in Israel, were told just to turn around and they were trusting in who God is. And I wish sometimes in our life that we had a narrator telling us just why things were happening, why things were going the way they were going. It would be so much easier, I think, if our lives, if we could read it almost like a biblical account, like this happened, but it happened because of this reason. God was doing this in this circumstance and we could trust him a little more and we kind of see behind the curtains and we see that in the biblical text but so often in our lives we see God working or we see our life going a certain way and we question how he's working. We're wondering how he's working, wonder how he's doing what he's doing or why he's doing what he's doing and we can doubt but again we're called to look upon our Savior. We're called to look upon God and trust in who he is that we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. Even when things don't seem to be making sense, we trust in how he's acted in our life so far. We trust in how he has saved us. We trust in how he has loved us and provided us for so far. And when we trust in him, we can walk through whatever he brings our way because we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. But as I said, I don't really think the Israelites at large knew How God was moving, they turned around, they followed, and they encamped. But what looked up, and what did they see? They saw the Egyptian army coming towards them, and the text said they feared greatly. You can understand that. Just put yourself in their their shoes. These were the Israelites who had just escaped slavery. They were under these harsh masters who were killing their male children. They were under these harsh masters who were trying to make them make bricks without giving them straw to make their bricks. They were fleeing and they thought they were free. They were kind of probably feeling, hey, this is it, we're out of the yoke of these people. And yet then they look up After following God faithfully, after going where he told them to go, they look up and what do they see? They see their dreaded slave masters coming towards them. And all their might, bringing their chariots and the horsemen, and they feared greatly. They looked up and they saw what they thought was their doom. They looked up and they doubted. Because while looking up and seeing this army coming, it kind of clouded everything else from their vision. They no longer had eyes for who God was. They no longer remembered even what he had done so far. All they could see was this army. And they feared it. They feared what was coming against them. But we shouldn't look down on them. Because we're all like that so often. Often. When we go through life, it's so easy to get focused on what's going on around us. It's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances or how things are not working how we want to, how our job's not going as well as it should, or how even our family might be uh, having tension or even falling apart. We look around and we get focused on all these things that are real. Just like the army was coming was real. They, but you get focused to them on these things in our life to the extent that we forget God. We forget what he's done. We forget how he's loved us and how he's led us through life, and he's even led us to where we are at this very moment. It's a very human thing to do, is that we look at what is going on around us and we forget who God is or what he's done in our lives. Is that you? The stuff going on in your life where you now have just kind of hyper focused on these things, these circumstances, to extent that you kind of have let these things crowd out the awareness or the truth of who God is and how He has moved and saved you and how He has provided for you in your life. It's kinda these things crowd the truth out. Is your heart distraught because you're questioning, why does God allow me to be put in this situation where I don't understand how he's working and I can't even see the truth? Is that you? I think we've all been there. I've been there so many times in my life, and there's only one remedy, and that is what Moses calls the people to do, to stand firm and look at the salvation of the Lord. There's only one thing to do is that we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord, the salvation that he has provided for us. Because we see that phrase, Jews, in this account. That when the people are grumbling and complaining, fearful, in this really probably overemphasized language about how were there not any graves in Egypt, what does Moses encourage them with? Does he give them a couple steps on how to maybe reframe their mind? Does he give them a couple steps to make their life better so God's going to approve of their life and then he's going to act? No, what does he do? He says simply stand firm. He says simply stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. He calls upon them to stand. It's funny because when I, when I was preaching this uh, through my, to my congregation back in April, It hit me a different way, but recently we're going through 1 Thessalonians, and we're talking about um, these different postures of faith as we see throughout the epistles, that there's these postures of faith that, that are recorded in the Bible, that we're called to sit in who we are in Christ, and that we're called to walk in his ways, and that we're called to stand in what we believe to be true of who he is. When I was a young Christian actually uh, I was introduced to this tiny little book by a Chinese Christian watchman knee called Sit Walk Stand and it kind of walks through the epistle of, uh, the epistle of, to the Ephesians and pulls out these postures about how really the the Christian life is these different kind of postures that we sit with confidence in who how we're saved in Christ And how when we orient ourselves towards the outside world, we walk in his truth. But then when we are approached by conflict or the opposition, we stand firm in how God has saved us and what he's called us to be. And how true it is that we see not only in the epistles in the New Testament, but we see throughout the Old Testament that we're called to stand firm in who God is. That our posture of faith is to stand firm in his truth. Because Moses says, hey, stand firm and look and see the salvation of the Lord. What was he encouraging them to do? He says, all you have to do is stand in this truth and remember what God has done for you. You see an army, but remember that you were slaves when he brought you out of Egypt. You see this army approaching, but you need to stand firm and remember all those powerful signs that he worked against Egypt. You need to remember that it was not you who escaped Egypt, but it was was God who brought you out. That you need to stand firm in knowing that it's not your power, it's not how strong you are, it's not your fighting ability to fight against this army, but it's our God who saves you. That you stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. That when they're doubting about what's happening, he's lifting their eyes back up and saying, Look at your God. Remember him and how he saves you. Remember him what he has done. That Moses is reminding the people that God is fighting for them. That God is bringing them where they need to be. And if God is on their side, it does not matter how big of an army the Egyptians have, but they are going to be safe. They are going to be Safe in the salvation of the Lord. Moses is calling for the people to trust, to have faith and trust in who God is and what He has done, and trust in God even in these circumstances that might not make sense. He's calling on them to trust in who God is and stand firm in who God is and know Him. And this applies for all of us when we're caught up in circumstances. Hardships, very real things that seem to be threatening our very lives, things that are overwhelming our minds. When we're threatened to be overwhelmed by this world that seems so often to be ununderstandable, we're called to remember who God is. We're called to remember what He's done for us so far. And in that, we're so much more privileged than the Israelite people. For they had this, this memory that they can call upon how God saved them out of Egypt, how he did these powerful signs about how he's been on their side and fighting for them. They can call on that and remember that and trust in this God. But we as Christians can, all can look back and we know what God has done for us. We know how he saved us in spite of ourselves. We know the testimony of the trueness of the gospel, the gloriousness of the gospel, that why we were still sinners God sent his son to die for us, that we know it's not us. It's not how well we can act. It's not how well we can achieve. It's not how good we can follow his law. It's not how well we can somehow clean up the outside. That's not what we base our trust in. We base our trust in that God saves us through his son. And if that's true, no matter what life brings at us, No matter what comes towards us, no matter the hardships we face, we can trust in this truth that if he loves us when we were sinners spitting in his face, he loves us and is going to carry us to the end as his children. And so we stand firm in that salvation. Even if it's hard and we look upon life that gets so hard sometimes, we trust that God fights for us. And we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. And we rest assured that we're never alone. I love this detail in this account that after God kind of tells them what he's going to do, night falls, and the cloud that had been leading the Israelites now moves and stands between the army the Israelites. It says that night they didn't even come close to each other. I love this because I think it shows, and I I know it shows, (laughs) how God shields us and protects us and ensures that his plan is going to be brought to completion. That God said, hey, I'm going to take you through this Red Sea. Guess what? If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And so no no matter how near that army got, God moves in between them and shields Israel from the Egyptians. And he protects them. He ensures that what he says is going to happen is going to happen. He shields and protects them and provides for them. That we can hold that truth that when all else seems lost, we know the truth that God is still with us. He's still working his plan to completion, and he's going to bring us to that completion. That he shields us and protects us and provides for us and takes care for us no matter what is going on in the darkness of night. No matter what is happening, we can trust in God because we've seen how God loves us and saves us and cares for us. There's no doubt that there's things in life that get hard. And it's easy at those times to be almost adrift if we have not yet decided we're going to stand firm in how God saves us. A little over a year ago, my brother passed away. from a brain cancer. It was very sudden. Uh, from some point of diagnosis to him passing was six weeks about. And I've, I have experienced hardship in my life. I've, I mean, everyone does, right? But when you have a beloved brother, a godly man who serves, gives his life, for the purpose of growing kids in the faith, bringing high school students to know who Christ is. And something like that happens. My goodness, I I don't care how solid your faith is, sometimes you can tremble and you can doubt and you can wonder why. You wonder why my sovereign God do you choose to orchestrate this life in this manner? And even those big, real things that can cloud, that cloud my mind and can keep me just focused on the circumstances, the only answer is to look back upon our gracious God and trust in him, on how he loves us and provides for us And how he is good. That he lifts your eyes beyond that to him who stands beyond it. And says, trust in me. Even in those dark circumstances, you trust in him and you say, I trust in his salvation that he has provided for me. And I'll stand firm in that. But as we know this story, this story brings about that great finale where God does save the people of Israel. How he directs Moses to raise up his staff and he raises his staff and how the sea now is split on the uh, wall, of water, uh, water, wall, <laughs> a wall of water on their right hand and then on their left hand and they pass through as if on dry ground. That He provides that salvation for the people of Israel. They march through and it shows how God is in control and how God is saving them. That nothing can stand in his way. But it's amazing it's, if you... uh dive into commentaries or dive into how people view this miracle, just like almost any miracle of God or any miracle of Jesus, people want to almost bring it down a notch and say, well, it's not that great. It's not what people might think. And so you people might argue about, well, this is not really the Red Sea that we have those pictures in the Bible stories. This is maybe the Reed Sea or this marshy land and how they were marching through that instead of the Red Sea or maybe some other explanation. And they kind of want to bring God low like that, which I think... Just to show the absurdity of that, it's a, is a classic joke. You fit, rarely find theology in jokes, but this is a classic joke I think is good. There's a young man, he's reading his Bible, he's sitting out in the park, and he's reading this account, and he's, and he's reading this, and, and as he's reading it, some other person walks out of uh, uh, you know, his, his university, where he had been, just been studying comparative uh, religions, and as he's approaching walking through the park, he sees this young man reading his Bible, and this young man proclaims Hallelujah! Great is our Savior! It's amazing! This, this guy's intrigued. He's filled up with all this knowledge from his university. He walks over and he goes, what are you reading? And the young man explains, hey, I'm reading the account of how God saves the people of Israel by parting the Red Sea. And the guy goes, oh, oh, no, 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 no. It's not what you think. When you look at the Hebrew, the Yamsheth, that's actually Reed Sea, it's not Red Sea. And now, it wasn't that miraculous, it was like a marsh, and that's what God did. He kind of just separated the marsh." And the young boy goes, oh, looks down keeps on reading. And he exclaims again, hallelujah, we worship a great Savior. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? I just told you it's not that great. He goes, man, imagine this, that God can drown the whole Egyptian army in a small little puddle. <laughs> it just shows the absurdity because the point of the story is not where it was located precisely, but the point of the story, because it truly happened, was that God delivers. It's his miraculous might that brings Israel out of Egypt. It doesn't matter how deep the water was, when we read the account, he provides the salvation as he provides a way for Egypt and then crushes their enemies under the water. That God delivers, that God gets the glory. That when we read this count it's made clear why did he put them in this, uh, this situation between an army and a sea? God says it himself, so that Egypt will know that I am the Lord. That his people will also see this and trust us in who he is and how he saves them. When you read past this in the Old Testament, how often does God call upon his people to remember him and who he is and what example does he give them but this, how I saved you and brought you through the sea. How I saved you, not because of who you are, but because I set my love upon you and saved you. And so God gets the glory. And the same is true for us. When we think about who we are and how God saves us, the very fact that he saves us when we're undesirable, the very fact that he saves us when we are astray like sheep, when he saves us not because of what we do, but because he sets his love upon us, when you look upon those facts, we realize he saves us and he gets the glory for saving us. That he saves us and it's him who does it. That's not us, but we are sage and we glory in that fact that he loves us and cares for us enough to deliver us. For that is the good news of the gospel, this good news that we proclaim, is not a self-help program, it's not how you can make yourself better, but it's the very fact that God loves his people and sent his son to live that perfect life for them, a life that we could not live, and then to go to the death that he did not deserve, but we deserve, so that in our place, condemned could he stand, taking the sin of, of, of us upon himself and giving us his righteous place before God the Father. This is the glorious news of the gospel that he gets the glory for saving his people. That we rejoice in that just as much as Moses calls the people to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, we too are called to stand firm in who God is and see how he saves even wretches like us and how he conquers an enemy that we could not conquer, that he is more powerful than we can possibly fathom as we trust in him. So we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord. And I love, as we get to the end of the chapter, the response of the people of Israel. They feared the Lord. Before, if you remember, as they were watching this approaching army, They feared greatly in who Pharaoh was and what the army could do for him. But now, after seeing its destruction, now after being saved through the sea, what do they do? They turn around and they fear the Lord. This is a correct fear. This is a correct understanding a reverence of who he is and his power, his might, that brings them to a place of worship, brings them to a place of appreciation for who God truly is. They feared him. They feared him because they knew who he was. And the fear of the Lord is actually a freeing fear. For when we fear the Lord, all of those other fears go away. They're tossed out because we see who's in charge. We see who's most powerful. We see who is in control of all of these things, and he loves us and cares for us. So what do we have to fear? When we lose sight of him, when we lose sight of the fear of the Lord, we get caught up in all these fears of what man could do to to us, what these circumstances might do for us. We get caught up in that, but when we remember who God is and we trust in him, we have that correct fear that frees us from those other fears. And it brings us to a place where we worship and we trust in who God is. Because as it says in the text, they feared the Lord, and then they believed God and his servant Moses. They feared him, and this, this correct fear made them actually realize they could trust in who God is and his plan, and trust in who Moses was as he communicated God's plan to them. And if you know what chapter 15 is, it leads to worship as Moses breaks out in the song. Praising God for how he has saved him. That we stand firm in the salvation of the Lord because we have a corrupt fear on who God is. That he has the power to save us. He is the one in charge. So do we have that correct fear? It's so easy to get distracted and oh, so easy to be led astray by other things that kind of can make us fearful about us, about life, But do we have that correct fear that looks upon God and knows who he is and how he loves us and how he moves and his awesome might that make us tremble with reverence and rejoice that this is the God who's on our side? It's a lesson we all need to learn through life as we go through life. It's a lesson that as we, as we walk through the Christian life, we're reminded again and again to focus our eyes, focus our attention back onto the Lord, fearing him above all things so that we can rightly order our life, knowing that he is in control, knowing that it brings us to a place of worship and awe that we trust in him. That is the correct fear that we should have in this life. and That fear leads us to remember how he saves us and we stand firm in who he is. We stand firm in the salvation that he brings us. So, what does this look like for us? When we're thinking about this account, when we're thinking of how we can break it down, we see how God is moving. What does this mean for us? And I'll just offer you these things is that it drives us to consider once again our deliverance. It drives us once again to remember how God saves us. It drives us once again to put the focus where the focus should be, which is on our mighty God who does this for us in in the midst of, of, of opposition, that nothing can stop him, that he delivers us, that he saves us, that it puts our eyes again on this God who has love and mercy flowing down, being lavished upon us because he chooses so. It drives us again to remember that deliverance that he has saved us. It's not us who can somehow save ourselves. And as we consider that deliverance that he brings to us, if we believe that is true, we then stand firm in it. That we don't let the world and the conflicts and the things we go through in life move us from this truth. We stand firm in it. We hold fast to our confession. We become immovable, giving ourselves to the work of the Lord, knowing that his work is not in vain. Why? Because we know he has done it, and if he has done it, he's not going to give up on us right now. If he gave his own son for us, how would he withhold any other great blessing we need? How would he give up on us now? So if we believe in this great deliverance he's provided for us, we then stand firm in it, knowing the truth of who he is. And knowing the truth of who he is leads us to fear him rightly and be freed. That we have this correct fear of who God is, and so other anxieties, other worries, other Things that cloud our mind can fall before this correct fear, knowing our sovereign Lord, and we trust in him. We know who is in control. We know who we trust in. We know what he has planned for us. So we hold fast to that deliverance he's given us. We stand firm in it, and we have that correct fear that frees us from fearing other things so we can truly focus on him and live for him in our life, that we stand firm in the salvation of our Lord. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this word, this story, this account of the truthfulness of how you save the people of Israel and how we can read it and not just see a historical event that happened in the making of your people in the Old Testament, but we see the truth of how you love us and how you provide for us and how you save us. That we see the truth of this account speaking to how you move through history and you move in our own life. We see the truth of how you are our Lord, the Lord of the universe, the Almighty God, the one we trust in, the one we correctly fear, and how that correctly orders our whole life. So Lord, I just pray for all of us who know your son, who know you, that we can correctly orient our life towards you, knowing how you save us, knowing how you're bringing us to completion. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.